0: Good morning. We're in Galatians chapter 2 this morning as we continue on through Galatians. If you want to go ahead and turn there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to continue to study your word, to learn about uh, you, about the Apostle Paul and his ministry. And I pray that you'll teach us and help us to learn something. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (coughs) Amen. Excuse me. So we're in the book of Galatians, we've arrived at uh, chapter 2, and uh, in chapter 2, really all through this first section 1 and 2 of Galatians, Paul's, his goal is to show his authority both through the authority given to him as apostle by God in chapter 1, and the authority given to him by the apostles, by man in chapter 2. So last week we talked a little bit about how God called Paul. If you look at verse 1 in chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He started off right out of the gate trying to explain, my authority for this message I'm delivering to you comes strictly from God. I don't need man's authority. It comes from God. But then he goes into chapter 2 here, and today we're going to talk where he goes and he Derives his authority as well from man. There's a couple points in chapter two where you'll see Paul makes it very clear. I don't need man's authority. I don't need the support of them, but I have it. My authority comes from God. So as we break down chapter two, we go in verses one and two. He talks about this trip that he takes to Jerusalem. And we're going to look at what trip is he talking about? And that's kind of important when you go through the rest of chapter 2 to understand what truth is Paul talking about here. In verse 3, he uses Titus as an example for this doctrinal issue that he's discussing to, to the Galatians, and that has to do with justification by the law, really focusing on circumcision. He uses uh, Timothy as this example. In 4 and 5, he discusses his opposition that comes against him. And in 6 through 10, you see where he wraps it up and really... Uh, shines a light on this unity that he has with the apostles. And there's two parts of this unity that really stands out when you read through this chapter 2. Paul's unified with the apostles, both in the message, the gospel that he delivers, but also in the ministry that he has with them. They support him in what he's doing and how he's doing it. They're also supportive of him. And have the same message that paul has paul's not out there preaching a new message he's not giving something different out to the gentiles and then the apostles are here delivering a message that's different to the circumcised it's all one message and he wants to make that very clear so the the reason he's writing to the galatians is the correct false teaching this this righteousness through the law. And that comes in the latter half of Galatians when he really corrects that. But he sets that up by establishing this authority that he has to be an apostle. You see what they were doing was coming in. You ever see this happen? This happens all the time when you have doctrinal discussions or doctrinal issues. Somebody has a problem with a doctrine somebody's teaching or they want to come in and challenge them. Instead of attacking the issue, what do they do? They attack the person. And they start to try to attack who he is. If you ever uh, have a, get into a, an argument just with somebody and that person starts attacking you, it means that they probably don't know what they're doing and they don't really have much of an argument. So they try to take you out. And that's really what's happening here is they're trying to first come in and subvert Paul's authority. And if you can subvert his authority and his apostleship, what do you do? You've destroyed his message and you can say, no, our message is the true gospel. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't even have the authority to be preaching it. So he's already established it under his, his authority by God in chapter one. And in, ver- in chapter two, we'll just read and we'll see how he establishes his unity in message and message and ministry and his, his support of the apostles in Jerusalem. So it says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, I was eager to do quick reading of that. You can see where he starts off talking about this trip he takes. And during this trip, there's a dissension, there's a discussion, and he ends up in the end supported by the apostles. They send him out and and he makes his case that the apostles support my ministry. The apostles recognize my apostleship and they've sent me out to take care of this ministry To the uncircumcised i have authority both from god and from man so the first question we have is when you get to studying this is then after 14 years i went up again to jerusalem with barnabas taking titus along with me so the question is then what from what what was before the then if you're reading straight through here it appears like he's saved then he goes to jerusalem Then he goes back to Jerusalem. This would be pointing to his second trip to Jerusalem, right? If you're just reading through Galatians here at first glance, that may be what it appears. Paul took five trips during his time that's recorded to Jerusalem. If you're reading straight through, it would appear that he's pointing at a second trip. But I'm going to try to convince you that that's not the case. The case is that it's really his third trip. And there's people on both sides of trying to decide which trip Paul is referring to here is it 14 years post his conversion or is it 14 years post this second trip to Jerusalem and it's really important to decide that because it determines what went on in Jerusalem when he was there after these 14 years in this verse 2 verse 1 why was he in Jerusalem What was the purpose of the trip? What happened there? And how does that play into his argument he's trying to make here? It's really important. Was it his second trip? Was it his first trip? So what I'd like to do is kind of go through our five trips or kind of Paul's early life and figure out what was happening. So Paul was Saul. He was going into Jerusalem and around uh, persecuting the Christians, right? Everybody remembers this part of Saul's life. And so he gets these papers because as, as he's persecuting all the Christians, what happens? They start fleeing, right? They're running all over the place. And Paul gets papers to go chase down the Christians and to continue persecuting me. He takes papers with him to Damascus. On his way to Damascus to persecute these Christians, he's converted. That's when the angel of the Lord meets him on the road to Damascus, knocks him down, blinds him, says, why are you persecuting me? And then he goes into Damascus. And there he meets with this man, Ananias, who restores his sight, uh, ministers to him, and then Paul immediately begins preaching around Damascus. Begin, uh, he's not even called Paul yet at that point. They still refer to him as Saul. Saul begins preaching around G- Damascus, this gospel that God has revealed to him, this gospel that he's trying to protect here. The gospel of faith in Christ alone, apart from works. He's trying to preach this. And then at some point there, he goes out into the desert of Arabia, comes back into Damascus, continues preaching, and then there's these Jews that are still feeling the way Saul did originally. They come in, and they're trying to kill Paul. So he's converted, goes into Damascus, preached, goes out to Arabia, comes back in, people are coming in to try to kill him. And that's where you remember the story of the basket going down the wall. That's where they try to help him escape from Damascus. They let him down this basket and out the wall, and he runs off to Jerusalem. That's the first trip to Jerusalem. He leaves Damascus post-conversion, post his first little uh, time of preaching, goes to Damascus, and that's in Acts 9.1. You can see he had the encounter, and then he stirs him up in 9.23 and 24. And then three years following his conversion, he goes to Jerusalem. And when he's there, if you look in Galatians one eighteen, if your fingers are there right now, you can look. It says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. So this is Paul's first trip to Jerusalem. It's post-conversion. He goes in. It's a short trip. He meets with, with Cephas for 15 days. And if you look in, um, I think it's over in Acts 9.26. Go ahead and put your... Bible's in acts nine twenty in chapter nine because we 'll flip back and forth here. This is when he went up in the acts uh, Account it says, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him up to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. So this is what happens on his first trip in. He goes in, they're scared of him. Barnabas takes him, and in Galatians, it records that he meets with Cephas, but he also meets with a few others as well. And the trip ends when he's back In Jerusalem and you start to see a pattern with Paul's life why did he leave Damascus the first time what were they trying to do to him kill him right so he leaves Damascus he goes to Jerusalem he meets with the disciples he's there for a short time and does anybody know what happens then they're trying to thank you It's, it's pretty pretty common answer in Paul's life he stirs them up. He's, they're trying to kill him. And they send him away. They take him down. I was trying to figure out how to describe this because in my mind sometimes it's hard to picture when you're hearing these stories. Picture Cincinnati, Columbus, and Toledo. Okay? And then the whole western half of Ohio is an ocean. Like Great Lake St. Mary's is really big. And Lima is Cyprus in the middle. So Cincinnati is Jerusalem, Columbus is Damascus, and Tarsus is Toledo, right? That's about half the scale of what it really is. That's about half, 50% of what it really is. So he's in, he went to Damascus, come back down to Cincinnati or Jerusalem. They took him to Caesarea, which is right on the, on the ocean there, which would kind of be like Dayton. And then from Dayton, they sailed across the ocean past Lima, or cyprus and up to tarsus which would be like toledo so this is kind of where he's traveling if it helps you grasp kind of what's going on here it helps me so it reminds me of what's happening so he goes back up to tarsus that's his first trip is over spent a lot of time on that first trip on the second trip he's up there ministering now remember he's been sent out he's ministering in antioch in that area and they find out that there's a famine In Judea. And so the churches in Antioch take the people, take up an offering, and they say, we're going to send Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem, and they're going to take some relief for the brothers down in Judea. If you go to Acts chapter 11, you should have your Bibles over there, which I don't. Go back over there. There's an important part here Eleven twenty seven says, this is just... Now in these days the prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold of the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This, this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So why is this important? You know, why would I say uh, that we need to discuss this? And that is need to remember Paul is uh, trying to support his his, uh, authority of the church. We see here in Acts chapter 11 that Paul was sent, Paul and Barnabas was entrusted, with this money to take down to the disciples in Judea. One thing we also see is that I'm going to suppose that that wasn't even mentioned in Galatians. I think that that trip is left out here. And the reason is you don't see a record of Titus. You don't see a record of him meeting with the apostles other than taking out some money to the elders. You don't see any mention of time on how long that trip took. It seems to be just a quick trip of relief to bring some money down, to, to, to help the brothers in Judea, and then leave. There really doesn't seem to be anything that pertains to this discussion in Galatians. So his third trip, that's the one that I'm going to make the argument that that's the trip we're talking of here. Go to Acts 15. So he goes to Jerusalem for this relief trip. At some point, he goes back out. He's ministering. He's on his first missionary journey, going all around what we would call modern-day Turkey and around the Mediterranean here. And they returned in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Um, uh, if you go to... Verse 27 of, verse, of chapter 14 is where we can jump back to. When they arrived and gathered the church good together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no, no little time with the disciples. They come back from their, set, their first missionary journey. They're with the churches in Antioch, and they're explaining how God is blessing The Gentiles, God is calling them to repentance. God is pouring out his Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. Everybody's really encouraged. This is great. This is wonderful. He spent a lot of time with them together. And then some men from Judea showed up again. They're down here, right? They're down in Cincinnati. They traveled around up to Toledo and they come to where Paul is and they say, no, you can't be doing this. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here's Paul, who's already been ministering, who's already been working, and then they come in and they tell him, no, what you're doing is wrong. These people must be circumcised or else they can't be saved. It's not true. This can't be, this is a false gospel. And so then what happens? In verse 2, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, uh, That's an interesting way of putting it, right? I can picture that it was probably not a very quiet discussion because he said it was no small dissension. They probably got pretty heated in trying to say, no, these people can be saved. God is working. Look at the evidence. Look what's going on. I have the authority directly from God. You can't tell me that they can't be saved. He had no small dissension or debate with them. Paul and Barnabas, some of the others, were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, and they went to Jerusalem. This is Paul's third trip up. And If you notice, it's really important there that he's using this. I'm going to say in verse 1, this 14 years is this Third trip. It's 14 years after the last event we see in chapter 1, which would have been his first trip post conversion. Converted Damascus, Arabia back to Jerusalem back to Antioch, sent to Jerusalem on a famine relief, back to minister on a a missionary journey. And from the missionary journey, they have a dissension among the the Judaizers. They have to come back for the Jerusalem council. And this this section here leaves out that second trip because it doesn't apply to what's going on in the the Galatians. And so he takes that that third trip 14 years after that first trip post-conversion. Does that make sense? Are you following me? Hopefully I'm convincing you because when you all get in your small groups, you're going to have to discuss which one you think it is because there's very smart people that disagree on this issue. But I think it applies very well here. So if you'll notice something, what is he trying to establish in chapter 2? Do you remember? Chapter 1, what is he establishing? Is it authority by who? God. Chapter 2, is an authority by who? Man, earthly, his earthly authority, Right? Let's go back over here to chapter 15 verse 3 so being sent on their way by who by the church so that's why i think this third this third trip is just one more piece of evidence there's a bunch of them on why he's referring to the third trip the third trip would be the trip that he would show his authority both by the churches in Antioch, and his authority when he was received by the apostles in Jerusalem. That whole trip was all about the authority of Paul being recognized by all the Christian community. So it fits in very well. I realize I've spent like all my time on the first verse, but I think that was really important. So we'll try to uh, cruise down through here. In two, two, it says that he went up because of a revelation, Chapter two, verse two of galatians it 's another one that shows that it was not because he didn 't go up on this trip to the Jerusalem Council to go gain their uh, trust to go uh, find their their uh, acceptance. He went up because of a re- revelation of God. Paul went on his mission. He was involved in ministry. He became saved and went out to preach the gospel because of a direct revelation by God. He went down to Jerusalem because of a direct revelation by God. If you read down through in chapter 2, you'll see a lot where it seems almost as if Paul's being critical of the leaders of Jerusalem. He's not being critical. What he's trying to show is that I don't need their authority. I have it from chapter 1 where Adam spoke last week. I don't need their authority, but I really appreciate it. And so he went down by revelation, and verse 9, if we jump way down there, you'll see that it went up because of revelation, though privately before those who seemed influential. You say, who's those privately? Verse 9, it shows these people that he was talking to, James, Cephas, John. These, These are some of those people that seemed influential. Again, that word seemed influential, it may be like, well, Paul's just making, they're not really nobody, they're just... They're just the apostles. They seemed influential. What he's saying is, in this community, they had influence. So I went privately to them. I don't need their acceptance. I don't need their authority. But what did he do? He says, though privately before them who seemed influential, he still honored their authority. He went in privately to them. He met with them, and he discussed this issue that was going to be brought about in, in public. He discussed it privately with them. And it says, why did he do that? The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul was not concerned about whether or not they were going to accept him. It wasn't like, if, I, if they don't accept me, then all that I've done is in vain. That was not his concern. What was his concern? If the Jerusalem council didn't side with Paul in this gospel, if they didn't have a unity of spirit in the gospel of faith in Jesus Christ alone, justified by faith, then there would be Paul going out and doing all this work, ministering and sharing the gospel and seeing people converted. And then all these Judaizers with the support of now the apostles that had these two gospels would have come around and just caused all kinds of trouble behind him. And his ministry would have been in vain And that they would continually be following him around causing problems. So that was what he went in. He went to go in and make sure, are we on the same page? Because when I go out, I want to make sure that people are not going to be following around, causing problems everywhere I go. So that, that was what this running in vain is. And then he breaks off in a paraphrase. He says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Another piece of evidence of why this refers to the Jerusalem council, I believe, is that what's his, what's his point of contention in, in Galatians? The circumcision? justification by faith here's titus who he takes along with him to the jerusalem council if 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 this was going to be a real issue if the if circumcision was going to be something that they would have supported and they were going to deny the authority of paul to preach this gospel of anybody titus would have been one that they would have said we need to get this boy circumcised right says but even titus He went with me. We met with him. We discussed with him. He was in Jerusalem, a Gentile who was a leader in the church, brought him in in Jerusalem with the apostles where all these Jewish leaders were, and they didn't even ask him to get circumcised. So obviously the gospel I'm preaching is true and it's supported by the apostles in Jerusalem in case you doubted this, Right? Yet because in the middle of this, because a false brother secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So when they're in Jerusalem, he's meeting privately with the Uh, apostles and then they have this discussion this meeting to try to determine what is going to be the ruling on this circumcision and the law and these brothers from Judea that were up in Antioch he comes back down they he's meeting with them they come in and they start causing problems they didn't come in to cause problems with the message they come in and start attacking Paul and they start as he puts it what does he say so that they might bring us back into slavery. Flip over to chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And in verse nine, "But, but now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul kind of he's going to build on this argument later on when he's discussing the doctrines but in this part where he's supporting his authority he's given kind of a precursor a little kind of a this is what they're doing to you. You know remember he says how can you foolish Galatians how could you so quickly give up on this gospel? It's not just a matter of this theological debate. These people are trying to put you into slavery. You were slaves held under the law. I preached to you. The Holy Spirit came in and you were set free from slavery. And now they want to come back and put you into slavery. That's what these guys were doing. And he wanted to point that out. And he said, and because of that, we didn't yield to submission to them for a moment. I kind of picture the Jerusalem council there meeting with them. He's discussing with the apostles, submitting to their authority. Paul's very respectful. And then these Judaizers come in and start stirring stuff up. And he just totally blew them out. Like, get, get, I'm not going to even respect you or submit to your authority for a moment. Because you're trying to put these people under slavery. That's a horrible thing. And it should never happen. And... We go to verses six. He says again, from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no power, partiality. Again, Paul kind of seems to be disrespecting him, but he's not. He's saying that it, it doesn't make any difference. Again, you can't can't, can't uh, emphasize this enough. Paul's authority is from God, but he's also respecting their authority. To those I say who seemed influential, they didn't add anything to me. My authority is from God. On the contrary, so let's go to verse 7 and almost done. Verse 7. We're going to read and we're going to stop it at uncircumcised and we're going to pick back up again in verse 9 at they gave the right, Because there's kind of a pair a parentheses or a parenthetical statement in here and it, it it starts to get confusing. One commentary, I can't remember who it wrote, said that in the Greek this is a grammatical disaster. I don't I don't know enough Greek to know that. I just know it took me a while to understand what in the world he was trying to say through reading through this straight through. So we're going to read on the contrary in verse seven. When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, down to verse nine, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they did the circumcised. So his summary is this with the Jerusalem council. Here's what happened. When they saw that I had been entrusted, it was truly that I had been sent by God to go to the, take this gospel to the uncircumcised, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me. We were in unity with the apostles. So that, and he goes into some more discussion in the middle of there to explain that. But in, in that section, we can see, after it was all said and done, after this, this arguments, all these, these discussions who was the one that walked away in unity with the apostles? It was Paul. Paul's the one that had the authority, had the unity of mission and message with the apostles. So in this, in this little section, we'll go read the part we left out. Just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles they had both unity of ministry and message. The exact same, uh, he's putting that in there as kind of this subset to say, listen, just in case somebody decides to come in and say, okay, they let Paul go out and preach. They let Paul go out and do his thing, but they don't have the same message. Paul's preaching this message out here to the Gentiles. Peter's preaching this message to to the Jews and the circumcised. No, he wants to make sure that's not what's going on. We, I was sent out to the to the uncircumcised, him to the circumcised, but we have the exact same gospel message. It's not different. It's maybe to a different crowd. It's the same message. He wants to make sure that that's, that's very evident there. It wasn't Paul, but the Judaizers that were proclaiming another gospel. He wants to be very clear. The Judaizers, those that are coming in, are proclaiming another gospel. And then he ends with saying, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. What trip did he leave out, according to me? Second trip. What did he do on the second trip? He helped the poor. Yeah, he went back to help the poor. Paul's like, I might have left it out, but we're eager to do that you know, I'm, I'm not saying that he purposely left that out for that purpose, but there, it's very evident that Paul, he had no problem with that, right? He had no problem going and helping the poor. He says, yeah, that's great. Let's don't, don't forget the poor. He was eager to do that. So they're, they're in complete, complete and utter unity of ministry and mission. They're in they're in unity with their message of the gospel as he goes out and preaches. But also in this one thing the apostles ask him to do, don't forget the poor. He's like, yeah, we're unified in that too. We're together in all things. We just have a different ministry that we're going out and doing. Um, I, th- I think about Paul and, and I think about an old, there was a song that says, you gotta stand for something or you fall for anything. You ever heard that song? <laughs> Well, you got to stand for the truth, or you'll fall for anything. I guess it's a better way. I'd like to put it. It's a good thing to remember. And Paul did that. Paul stood for the truth, and amazing amounts of opposition. Constantly, he had opposition. Just in that little section we we talked about today, there was what twice people were trying to kill him. He had to run away. Everywhere he went, people were trying to kill him. People were chasing him down. People were subverting his gospel. We need to determine what is truth. What is our authority? Just like Paul, his authority was from God. The word of God directly revealed to him. And we need to stand on it no matter what comes against us. And when we have that authority, then we can stand against any opposition and we can recognize it. Father, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your study of your word. Thank you for Paul and his example. He says to follow him as he follows Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we would do just that. I pray, Lord, that as well, that we would stand in such a way that we could look at others and tell them, follow me as I follow Christ. Thank you for your gospel of freedom, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to a great master, Jesus Christ. He's a good shepherd. We thank you for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.